how powerful the singing of the truths of God's Word is. Um, and how important it is for not only us as adults and teenagers and older children, whoever else is left in here, uh, but also for our little ones to sing the truths of God. I looked over as the choir was singing. I haven't looked over at my three-year-old, and she was singing along with the choir. And, uh, and uh, we teach them songs. We love to sing songs. We teach them all, all sorts of hymns and, wor- and worship songs. But I, I don't think we've practiced that one, and even though that's such a great one. but I, So she was just listening to y'all, and she's learning a new song, and that's awesome. And so uh, it's been my heart good to watch her little mouth over there moving and um and singing that Jesus paid it all. I pray that one day God would um, come into her life and rescue her from her sin, and she would truly know uh, what it means that Jesus has paid all of her sin. The price has been paid in full. Well, if you will, open up in your Bible to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51. As you turn there, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had an it-happened moment? Have you ever had an it-happened moment? Now, maybe you're thinking, Pastor, what do you mean by an it-happened moment? Well, I mean a moment in your life where sin crept in and you gave in to the temptation. Perhaps even today you have come in here with an it-happened moment hanging over your head and heavy on your heart. King David had an it-happened moment. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we learn about a life and a time in the life of King David. Remember, King David, the, the king of Israel, probably the, the greatest king um, that Israel ever had. Definitely the greatest war king that Israel ever had. His son Solomon, the, the greatest in wisdom that Israel ever had. And here in 2 Samuel 11, we find this king, this King David, king of Israel, king of God's people, spiraling downward into the darkness of sin. That story begins with David not being where he was supposed to be. And then in verse 2 of 2 Samuel 11, we find these words, it happened. It happened. And what follows is a succession of events where David committed sin after sin after sin after sin. David had an it happened moment, or maybe more accurately we could say he had... A lot of it-happened moments. Perhaps we've come in today with an it-happened moment of sin heavy on our hearts. Perhaps like David, more than one it-happened moment. So what do we do with that? That's a a good question, right? What do we do with those it-happened moments in our lives? Do we just keep living in the guilt and the shame? Do we try to do something to make up for the wrong that we've done? Do we just try to ignore it and hope that time will eventually cover it up? Do we just assume that God could never love me and never use me? And so we just continue to live in the despair that sin brings? Or is there a better response to sin, church? Is there a response that leads to forgiveness and restoration? In other words, what should I do? What can I do when I'm convicted of sin in my life? Well, we want to do and we should do. We ought to do the same thing that King David did. King David repented. 
King David repented. We said this last week, we'll say it again. To repent is to turn away from sin by turning toward Jesus, receiving God's gift of forgiveness and restoration. That's what it means to repent. What does that repentance look like? Well, we're going we're gonna to continue to unpack this, this beautiful truth of the possibility of repentance in our lives as we study Psalm chapter 51. As After David sinned, he was confronted with his sin, he repented of his sin, and he found forgiveness. God forgave him. We find this cry of repentance from David in Psalm chapter 51. The last week we read through the entire psalm and we looked at several of the verses there. And this week we're just going to look at verses 7 through 12. And so that's what I want to read for us now. So you'll follow along in your copy of God's Word. Psalm chapter 51, verses 7 through 12. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, speak the truth of your word into our hearts today. Please, Father, we need it. We need your word. Expose sin in our lives and lead us to a place of repentance so that we can receive your beautiful gift of forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week we began answering this question, how should we we respond when the darkness of sin is exposed in our lives? And what does repentance look like? We saw that the first main part of repentance is this step of confession. Confession, And that includes a right belief, a right confession, and a right attitude. We must first believe the right things about God, which leads to confessing that our sin is as bad as God says it is. But we need to do that with the right attitude, an attitude of humility before God, being truly sorrowful and broken over our sin. If you missed last week or really any of the last three weeks, I would encourage you to go back and listen to or or watch those sermons. If you're not sure how to do that, ask me after the service. I'll be glad to let you know. But now we want to move on to the next aspect of repentance, and that is receiving God's forgiveness. I've been looking forward to talking about this. This is the good news. This is the beautiful news that you and I can be forgiven of our sin. David's repentance includes right belief, right confession, right attitude, and fourth, the right request. And that's the one that we want to look at today, the right request. What is the right request to ask God when we have sin in our lives? We are to ask God to forgive us because He loves us. Ask God to forgive you because of His love. We'll unpack this as we look at these six verses today. After confessing his sin in Psalm chapter 51, verses 3 through 5, we see David spend several verses asking God to forgive him of his sin. And here we have in verses 7 through 12 various aspects of this truth of forgiveness. 
God's forgiveness is, is, is kind of like a diamond. I want you to think about a diamond for just a minute. Maybe, maybe you're wearing one and you can look down at it. You, you see a diamond. And a diamond has, has multiple sides to it. So then when you have a diamond and you, and you begin to turn it over as light is shining onto it, that light radiates off in different directions because there's all these different sides to that diamond. Well, I think that God's forgiveness is the same way. It's this one forgiveness. It's not that we get this kind of forgiveness or we get this kind of forgiveness or we get this kind of forgiveness. We get all of God's forgiveness, but it is multi-sided. In other words, we shine a light onto God's forgiveness. We begin to look at it. We see that there's all these beautiful aspects to God's forgiveness. So much so that Scripture has to use all sorts of verses and language to help us understand how awesome and beautiful God's forgiveness is. Notice with me, please, six sides or aspects of God's forgiveness as we see David make his request for God to forgive him. And as we look at these sides of forgiveness, these aspects, these different parts of forgiveness, I think we're going to see that instead of living in the guilt and the shame of our it happened moments, we can find for freedom and joy that flows from God's gracious gift of forgiveness towards us. The first side of forgiveness we see is this. Forgiveness is God's choice to cleanse your impurity. We see this in verse 7. David says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Back up in verse 2, if you'll glance back up there, he says something similar. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. All throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture, God sets himself apart from sinful humanity by describing himself as clean and pure and people as dirty and impure because of sin in our lives. If you go back and you study the Old Testament law, uh, you'll find quickly that, that God wanted to make it, make it very clear to his people that he was different than they were, that they were dirty with their sin and he was not dirty with sin. He wanted them to see that sin was not welcome in his presence. And if they had sin in their lives, they were not welcome in his presence. So he gives them all sorts of rules and rituals about washings and sacrifices. One way to understand the forgiveness of God uh, that he provides is, is by this idea of washing and cleansing, this picture of being washed clean. Here in verse 7 of Psalm 51, we've got a picture of clothes being washed. The hyssop plant was a small bushy plant that was used for all sorts of cleaning type exercises. And it was also used in temple sacrifices for the sprinkling of blood. And so David says, purge me with hyssop. But he also says, wash me. Now, this is interesting. There, there are two different Hebrew words that are translated wash. There are two different words that, that, that they could have used in this language to refer to washing. One of those words refers to a surface level cleansing. It's the word that you would use for like getting a bath, right? And so when you get a bath, the water and the soap, it doesn't soak down into your skin and into your body, right? It just, it just, it just hits the surface. It does its job. It cleanses the surface, but it really doesn't go any deeper than that. But there's another word for wash. And it's a word that really means a, a deep, deep cleansing. And it's what happens when you wash clothes. It's the word that they would have used to refer to, I'm going out to wash clothes. 
If you think about it, the water and the soap soak all the way through the clothes and they remove the dirt and the grime completely from the garment. And that's the word that's used here. Not the surface level cleaning, but the deep cleaning. David is asking God for a deep clean. Now, remember, we're not talking about 21st century washing clothes, right? To go chunk it in the, in the washing machine and hit a couple of buttons and then it turns on. We're talking about the washboard out, out at, the, at, the, at the watering hole, um, at the wash basin kind of washing where you're scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing. That's the picture here. Wash me and I shall be clean. David is asking God to run him back and forth over his love and grace and mercy until the stain of sin is completely removed. It's a deep cleansing that David asked for. Listen, church, the stain of our sin is deep in our lives. Remember verse 5 where it says that, that we, are, we are stained with sin from the moment of conception? And the truth is, we can't clean ourselves. We can't cleanse ourselves from our sin. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 22 says, Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. Here's what that means. Only a supernatural cleansing will do. Only a cleansing that God will provide. And that's exactly the kind of cleansing that God does provide in our lives when He forgives The result is that when God is finished scrubbing us clean over the washboard of his mercy, we are clean in God's sight. And listen, he sees every sin. He sees every stain. But when he washes us, we're not simply as white as snow. But verse 7 says, we're whiter than snow. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Listen, if your life is stained with sin today, you can cry out to God to wash you clean. Ask God to forgive you. He will. The second side of forgiveness that we see in this passage is this. Forgiveness is God's choice to heal your brokenness. Forgiveness is God's choice to heal your brokenness. We see this in verse 8. It says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And David's request here is that he would hear joy and gladness. What has his sin done that would make him desire to hear joy and gladness? I mean, what, why would he make? This seems like a little bit different of a request than wash me from my sin. I mean, have you ever made this request when you're asking God for forgiveness? God, let me hear joy and gladness. You see, his sin has broken him. And actually, actually, God has broken him. Notice, notice the language here. God has broken to Let the bones that you, God, have broken rejoice. The word bones is used more than once in the Psalms to refer to the innermost part of who we are. In Psalm chapter 35, it's synonymous with the word soul. There, David in Psalm 35 says this, Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. And again, we see this use of the word bones in Psalm chapter 6, where David says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But, O Lord, how long? 
really not that hard to understand what David is saying here. Have you ever felt the weight of the guilt and shame of knowing that you've sinned against God? Have you ever felt that before? Is it fun? Is it pleasant? It's not. It's not in my life. It hurts. It's not fun. It's like our bones have been broken. Remember back in 2 Samuel 12 when Nathan confronted David and he told David the story about the rich man stealing and slaughtering the poor man's only sheep. And David said, that man deserves to die. And Nathan looked back at David and said, you are the man. In that moment, David's bones were crushed by the Lord. But this was a merciful thing because it brought David to a place of repentance in his life. God may break our bones, so to speak, in exposing our sin, but that pain and shame and guilt does not have to be permanent. God can and will, if we ask Him, replace that pain and guilt with joy and gladness. David's specific request that he would hear this joy and gladness it could be referring to hearing God's promise of forgiveness. God, let me hear once again your promise of forgiveness. Today, some of you, maybe many of us, are feeling our bones breaking under the weight of our sin. Listen, if that's you, repent. Repent. Cry out to God for forgiveness and find joy and gladness in His promise to forgive you. One writer said it this way of this verse, God, in favor to His children doth afflict them for sin. And the very phrase of breaking his bones, though it express extremity of misery and pain, yet it hath hope in it. For broken, broken bones by a cunning hand may be set again and return to their former use and strength so that a conscience distressed for sins is not out of that's the good news of the gospel. God loves you enough to, to make you feel guilty for your sin so that you will turn to Him and find forgiveness and restoration. Third side of sin, uh, forgiveness that we see is this. Forgiveness is God's choice to cancel your debt. Forgiveness is God's choice to cancel your debt. We find this other side of the beauty of forgiveness in verse 9. It says this, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Here David is thinking about his sin from the perspective of a court of law. When you commit a crime, you deserve to be punished, right? Now our sin is a crime before a holy, righteous God. And thus we deserve to be punished. There is a debt to be paid because of our sin. When David says, hide your face from my sins, he's asking God not to look of the list of sins that he has committed, which means he's asking God to treat him as if he had never sinned. What a bold request. What a bold request. God, treat me as if I've never sinned. Don't look at my sin. I know it's there. You know it's there. But turn your face 
from my sin. And then the second part of the verse, he asks God the same thing in a different way. He says, blot out all my iniquities. There's this picture of God that we find multiple places in Scripture where there seems to be a book or books opened up before him. And it seems that in these books are records of the choices we make in life, choices either to obey God or choices to disobey God. And God uses these records to determine our sentence as he presides as judge over us. For instance, Daniel chapter 7, verse 10, Daniel's having a vision of God on his throne. And it says there, a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court set in judgment and the books were opened. Now, if God notices our sin, which he does, and if our sin deserves his punishment, which it does, then our sin has put us in a place where we owe God for our crime against him. And what's the punishment for sin? Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. What did God tell Adam and Eve? In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. However, God forgives repentant sinners as he turns his face away from their sin and blots out all their iniquities. He opens his book to your name. Listen, he opens his book to your name and he drops a blob of ink on the place where your sins have been recorded and no longer does he see them anymore. So then when he looks there, instead of seeing your sin, he sees the righteousness of Jesus and he treats you as if you have never sinned. He treats you by canceling out your record of debt and in place giving you his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness and his presence forever. That's what it means to be justified before God. God declares you not guilty even though you are. Listen, God should hide his face from us. God ought to hide his face from us as sinners rejecting us forever. But instead, God chooses to hide his face from our sin, which means we are forgiven forever. This is the beauty, the beauty of forgiveness. Imagine how awesome it would be to go to the bank to pay your very first mortgage payment and being told, oh, you don't know, you don't owe anything. Your debt's been canceled. Oh, my word. We, we, we'd sing a song walking out of the bank, right? Uh, we'd be jumping up and down. We'd call everybody. Can you believe this? It's been canceled. It's been paid in full. Now multiply that times a trillion. And another trillion and another trillion and another trillion. And that's what God does to our sin when we confess it to Him and ask Him to forgive it. Psalm 103 verse 12 says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Let me just ask you a question. Why, why would you not? Why would you not? Want to have the record of your sin blotted out? Why would you not want to have the debt that you owe because of the sin in your life canceled forever? Ask God to forgive you today. The fourth side of forgiveness we see is this forgiveness is God's choice to replace your heart. There's a heart transplant going on here. It's God's choice to replace your heart. Look there at verse 10. It's awesome. As, as we've seen, our sin is 
so deep. We don't simply need to be cleansed on the outside. We need to be cleansed on the inside. Our sin problem is not at its deepest a behavior problem. Our sin problem at its deepest point is a heart problem. Jeremiah said this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Listen, it's not just that we do bad things. It's that we are bad. It's not just that we commit sin. It's that we are sinners. And we need God to change us from the inside out. To be forgiven by God, we need God to give us a new heart. And that's what David asked for in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Someone said that the word heart is used to refer to the mainspring of man's inner life. The mainspring of man's inner life. I think that's a great way to understand what's meant by the word heart here. I mean, from our heart flows everything about who we are. It's the way that Scripture uses the word heart. So we're not talking about a toe or a finger or an ear, right? God gives us a new heart. He replaces the mainspring of man's inner life. And I want to tell you something. When God changes and replaces the mainspring of your life, a radical change will take place in your life. You will not be who you once were. God's forgiveness is a pardon, but it's more than a pardon. God doesn't just declare us not guilty, even though we are. He gives us the ability to no longer continue in that sin. This is good news for us. The same thing is meant by the second half of verse 10. God gives us a right spirit or a steadfast spirit. And that is God gives us a spirit that will persevere in obedience to him rather than spirit that falls away into more and more sin. We see God promise this new heart, uh, a new spirit all throughout God's new covenant promises. He promises several places in the new, excuse me, in the Old Testament. We see it in, in passages like Jeremiah 32 and Ezekiel chapter 11 and Ezekiel chapter 36. Wish we had time to go to all those passages and read them. But God has promised to give us a new heart and a spirit that, that is soft towards him, right? That is willing to obey. Glad hearted obedience. I encourage you to go to those passages and spend some time reflecting. Jeremiah 32, Ezekiel 11, and Ezekiel chapter 36. Like the cleansing from verse 7, this is something only God can do. God can only, He's the only one who can cleanse us from our sin, and He is the only one who can give us a new heart. Now, this is, this is neat, okay? This is really neat. In, in this word, create in me a clean heart. Every time we have this word, this Hebrew word translated create in the Old Testament, it always is used to refer to God's creating act. Now, humans can create. God has given us the ability made in his image to create, right? We can be creative. We can make creations. We can we can take materials that God has made and we can create new things. But this word for create is never used of something that humans create. It is always and only used in the Old Testament to refer to God as the creator. Case in point, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the same word create that's used here. Only God can create a world out of nothing. And listen, only God can give you a new heart. Only He can create in you a new heart and place within you a steadfast spirit 
willing to obey. So cry out to God for forgiveness and experience the newness of having your sinful heart replaced with a clean heart. Side number five of God's forgiveness. Remember this multi-sided look at God's forgiveness. Forgiveness is God's choice to keep you close. Forgiveness is God's choice to keep you close. Because sin is missing the mark of God's standard of perfection. Because transgression is rebellion against God. Because iniquity, maybe you see that here in Psalm 51, that word. Because that is uncleanness before the holy God. Those guilty of such things deserve to be removed from God's presence forever. Ultimately, that's what it means to to die. To experience spiritual death. It means to be cast out of God's presence forever you think about for a moment adam and eve we mentioned them just a few minutes ago adam and eve before they sinned they enjoyed the privilege the privilege of living in the presence of god i mean god was there with them in the garden it's hard for us to think about that and comprehend that he was with them but after they sinned god did what he kicked them out of the garden you remember that he kicked them out of the garden what was he doing Symbolically, that was a removal from His presence. No longer can you dwell with Me, God was saying, because there is sin in your heart. I want you to remember this and always remember this about sin. Sin always separates. Sin always separates. It always creates a separation between us and God. Sin cannot exist in God's presence, and God's presence will not dwell where sin exists. And that's bad news for sinners. However, the good news is that God is willing to forgive us of our sin. And when He does, we are no longer cast away from His presence. More than that, His presence dwells within us. (laughs) I mean, that's amazing. That God's presence would dwell in me, a sinner. Notice David's plea in verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. I mean, David knows his sin has put him in a position where he deserves to be removed from God's presence. However, he also knows the danger of being removed from God's presence. What does it mean to be in God's presence? God's presence means life. It means protection. It means provision. It means guidance. It means joy. And to be removed from God's presence doesn't mean that God no longer sees you or knows where you are. It's not like, oh, wait, I've lost you. I don't know where you're at. To be removed from God's presence or have God's presence removed removed from you means death instead of life. It means vulnerability to attacks from the enemy instead of protection. It means means, uh, spiritual neediness instead of spiritual provision. It means wandering around lost instead of enjoying God's guiding hand upon your life. It, it means eternal despair instead of eternal joy. David had witnessed this firsthand. God removing his spirit from someone. Remember his predecessor, King Saul? King Saul had sinned against the Lord. And right after David, as a young boy, was anointed king in 1 Samuel 14, 14. We find these words. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Now, did the spirit depart from Saul because a new king had been anointed? No. If we back up to chapter 15, uh, excuse me, that was in in 1 Samuel 16. If we back up to chapter 15, we find Saul rejecting the word of the Lord. You can go and read it. It's a horrible story. 
Saul rejects the word of the Lord. But then I just ask this question. Isn't that what David did in his sin? Bathsheba and murdering Uriah, didn't he reject the word of the Lord? Well, yeah. Well, if they both committed sin, how come Saul had the Spirit of God removed from him and David didn't? Because David repented. David repented appropriately. He cried out with a genuine cry of repentance. Listen, that's the difference. We're all sinners. This depends on whether or not we take that sin to God. And ask Him to forgive us based on His mercy and grace. I wonder about you. Are you feeling the effects of sin in your life? Does God seem a little bit further away from you as you harbor sin in your heart and life? You don't have to be rejected from God's presence. Listen, God can hold you close to Him even though you have sinned. It's amazing, but He can. And He will. If you'll ask Him to forgive you. When God forgives, He turns that separation into an intimacy with Himself. And it's beautiful, church. Sixth side of forgiveness that we see here in this passage. We find it in verse 12. Forgiveness is God's choice to restore your joy. Forgiveness is God's choice to restore your joy. David says in verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a, with a willing spirit. Listen, listen. our enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Sin steals the joy that we experience as we walk in close fellowship with God. But God's forgiveness restores the joy that comes with experience God's gift of salvation to us. Listen, church, unconfessed sin destroys our desire to live with a glad-hearted obedience to God. But God's forgiveness provides the strength and restoration we need to obey God with a willing spirit. I doubt. Remember, remember one of the things that David is known for? Writing songs of praise, right? I doubt that David was writing songs of praise while he was living under the conviction of his sin. I doubt that David was living with glad-hearted obedience to God while he had sin in his life of which he had yet to repent. And Christian, yes, Christian, perhaps you are feeling the effects of sin in your life today. Perhaps you've lost the joy of the Lord that you once had. Perhaps you're not able to serve God with this glad-hearted obedience. Perhaps it's because of sin in your life you haven't dealt with appropriately. You haven't repented by confessing your sin to God and asking Him to forgive you. So my plea for you is stop running. Stop putting it off. Repent today. Confess your sin to God and ask Him to forgive you. And if you do, He will restore in you the joy that comes with experiencing His salvation. And He will give you a spirit that is willing to live in obedience to Him. There's more to be said about this restoration part of repentance, but we're going to save that for next week as we study the rest of this psalm. For now, know that God's forgiveness will restore joy in you. Can I ask just two final questions before we close? Just just two questions. We, we, have to, we have to ask these questions. This forgiveness is amazing. It's beautiful. I mean, it, it's extraordinary, is it not? But why? Why does God forgive? Why? 
The short answer, because He chooses to love us. Because He chooses to love sinners by forgiving them. I'm sure you noticed the wording I used throughout the sermon. Forgiveness is God's choice. I use those words because we can never lose sight of the fact that you and I don't deserve to be forgiven. God forgives us not because we are worthy to be forgiven. He forgives us because He chooses to love sinners in such a way that we are forgiven. It's not that we're twisting God's arm or forcing His hand when we confess our sin and ask for forgiveness. God forgives us not because we're worthy, but because He loves us. He chooses to. You remember the foundation for David's plea? You back up to verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to my good works. According to my worthiness. No. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy. So here's the good news. If you don't feel worthy of God's forgiveness, then you're right where you need to be. Because you're not. And you need to be willing to admit that and realize that the forgiveness that God gives you when you ask for it by faith, it's not something you deserve. It's a free gift from Him. It is His choice to love you. And then that second question, why can God love us? Because, excuse me, forgive us because He chooses to love us. Then I have to ask this, how? <laughs> how can God do this? How in the world could God do what's written in verses 7 through 12? I mean, I am a sinner. I deserve, and rightfully so, I deserve to be rejected from God forever. I deserve to experience eternal death and separation forever and ever for my sin. That is what I deserve. And God is holy, righteous, and just. Which means if he doesn't punish sin, then he is a bad judge. But he's not. He's a good judge. So how in the world, how in the world can I be forgiven? I mean, my sin must be paid for if God is to remain holy and righteous and just. Well, let me give you another short answer. Jesus. How? Can God forgive your sin? Jesus. God can forgive our sin because Jesus sacrificed Himself in our place and has become an acceptable sacrifice to God on our behalf. God is chosen by His love, out of His love, founded upon His love to send His Son to experience the punishment that we deserve so that we can be forgiven. How can you be washed clean? Jesus. How can you have your brokenness healed? Jesus. How can you have your sin debt canceled? Jesus. How can you be given a new heart? Jesus. How can you remain close to God? Jesus. How can you have your joy restored? Jesus. Jesus took on the filthiness of our sin so that we could be washed clean. Jesus' body was broken so that we could hear joy and gladness. Jesus bore God's wrath towards our sin so that our sin could be blotted out. Jesus allowed His heart to stop beating under the weight of sin so that you and I could have new hearts set free from sin. Jesus experienced being cast away from God's presence as He hung on the cross and He cried out, My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? 
so that we could dwell in God's presence and have God's presence dwell in us. Church, Jesus became a man of sorrows so that we could experience the joy of His salvation. All praise, all glory, all honor belongs to King Jesus. And it's only through Christ that we can have this beautiful diamond of forgiveness. So can I ask you one more time? What is your it happened moment? Are you still living under the guilt and the shame? There's only one solution. You turn from your sin by turning toward Jesus. Receiving His free gift of forgiveness that He paid for on the cross. And if you do, you will be forgiven. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, in Christ we are made new. Father, you have canceled the record of our sin debt by nailing it to the cross. Father, all we have to do is receive it. We've got to humble ourselves before you. Be broken over our sin confess it, agree with you, and then ask you to forgive us, not because we deserve it, but because you have loved us. But because you have loved us by sending Jesus to pay the price for our sin. Father, there's someone here today who is living under the weight of their sin. Father, I pray today, right now in this moment, that they would turn from their sin by turning toward Jesus. That they would cry out to you, just as David cried out, Wash me, God, and I shall be whiter than snow. Father, may all of us examine our hearts in this moment and repent of any sin that is there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.